Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the only place to hear cutting-edge climate tech founders pitch their businesses in real time and on a podcast. I'm Nick Van Osdal. Let's jump in. A ton of attention is paid to the flow of financial capital in climate tech. Last year, more venture capital dollars were invested in climate tech companies than ever before. In order for climate tech companies across industries to scale, however, human capital, talent, will be just as important, if not more so. Whether it's hardware and software engineers or folks on the front lines installing solar panels, every climate tech company that raises capital immediately turns their attention to the next challenge, hiring great people. Legacy platforms like LinkedIn and Indeed may think they're prepared to serve the needs of thousands of climate tech companies and hundreds of thousands of applicants. ClimateBase, however, with whom we have the pleasure of speaking today, is building a dedicated platform specifically for climate tech jobs and job seekers. Today's interview features co-founder and CEO Evan Hines from ClimateBase and Murad Yagmai, an investor at the Cool Climate Collective who's also an edtech entrepreneur. Today, we'll learn about how ClimateBase is focused on building a comprehensive network that already features hundreds of thousands of users. Further, their business is already generating significant revenue, and they're building a deep data moat with all of the information that's flowing through their marketplace, both from applicants and from companies listing their jobs. We'll also hear about their unique Genesis story, which includes insights that I found to be quite representative of the last few years in the climate tech space as a whole. Finally, we'll zoom out and discuss what Evan thinks the next decade holds for climate tech and why he, for one, isn't fretting a boom and bust cycle like what we saw with clean tech about five years ago. Sound good? Let's jump in. Evan, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. Would love to start with the 90 or 120 second pitch on ClimateBase. Thank you so much. Yeah. At ClimateBase, we're building a platform for climate opportunities. And we're starting with a very, very specific focus on climate work opportunities. I want to set the stage first before I dive into what I'm really talking about here. Climate tech, really climate solutions, represents the largest wealth creation opportunity of all time. There's massive, massive growth happening right now in climate VC. And this capital that's pouring into climate tech is probably going to create hundreds, if not thousands, of new climate tech unicorns. It's not just going to be one Tesla there's going to be probably hundreds of similarly powerful companies that are redefining industries across the world. And all this capital is creating an incredible amount of job growth. But unfortunately, right now, hiring is still the greatest challenge facing climate tech companies. And this is not only a problem that's unique to climate tech. Hiring is, in general, a top pain point for most startups. But for climate tech, it's particularly painful, primarily because of two reasons. One is that horizontal job platforms like Indeed, LinkedIn even, and others, they lack the curation necessary to allow these companies that are working in climate tech to effectively attract the mission-driven talent that they need to succeed. Um, There's just simply too much noise. And there's a huge opportunity of creating a far superior solution there. The other factor that's preventing these companies is really around networks. Climate tech is not even a term really that was being used beyond three years ago. This is a rapidly growing but still relatively nascent space. And the organic professional networks that have formed in climate tech 
have largely been siloed and oftentimes inaccessible, sometimes even undiscoverable. So combine these two factors together, and you're talking about a major bottleneck that, the, that is preventing the climate tech companies from scaling the climate solutions that humanity desperately needs. At Climate Base, we see this massive challenge as a huge opportunity. We are building a platform for climate opportunities more broadly, but again, we are focusing very specifically right now on climate jobs and community. Already in the past two, less than two years since we've launched as Climate Base, we have now had over 350,000 people use our platform to apply to over 30,000 jobs that have been posted by over 2,000 companies that have joined the platform in that time. The opportunity that we see is not just ending with a marketplace for climate jobs and talent. It's really about being a market network, benefiting from both the marketplace revenue model that allows us to be scalable, but also combining that with the network effects and defensibility that comes from having a really strong social experience within the platform. So the model that we're looking at you know, with our market network model is users come for the jobs, they stay for the community, and that community drives re-engagement and thus value back to the marketplace. So there's this really beautiful flywheel that we create from that. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. We um, There's so much focus on the financial capital side of the equation and arguably still not enough focus on that side of the equation, but there's definitely not enough focus on the on the human capital side of the equation. So yeah, compelling pitch. First, I'd definitely say that the component about the talent gap, like that definitely resonates with me. We talk so much about financial capital as one of the main blockers for climate tech. And you are starting to see like that pick up a lot. There, there's a lot more funds being raised on the venture side, but you hear a lot less about the human capital element of the equation. So I'd love to dig in a little bit more on the product side. You kind of alluded to it, but I'd love to hear more about why you think climate-based is offering is more effective for climate tech than say a vertical within a bigger jobs and opportunities platform like Indeed? Well, first, what I'll say is I think we've heard investors ask this question before of like, well, why can't X, Y, and Z do what you guys are doing? I mean, ultimately, there's no employer that uses only one platform for sourcing talent. Uh, and there's no job seeker that's only using one platform to find opportunities either. To answer your question directly, though, what I'll say is we are focused on building a brand around climate and climate tech more specifically. That means that we're attracting mission-driven talent. Uh, companies that have any idea of the power of mission-driven talent, they, they know that these are people who are going to be, they're going to be working harder. They're going to be more committed to the company and the company's mission. They're twice as likely to end up in leadership positions after two years than non-mission-oriented candidates. They're oftentimes willing to take a massive pay cut too. In fact, at ClimateBase, we've experienced this ourselves personally. We had uh, a former senior software engineer from Google basically say that he was, I won't disclose anything other than the percent, uh, he was willing to take a 75% pay cut to join our team. So, you know, <laughs> this is this is a major unlock for these companies. Um, yeah, they can go to other platforms to source talent and I would encourage them to do that. I want these companies to succeed no matter what. But if they're, if they're looking for mission-driven talent, they should come to climate base. Clearly it's already starting to work. And you mentioned that a lot of that has happened organically, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how did you attract some of those first 
companies to really start focusing more on posting on climate-based versus some competitors. In terms of how did people initially hear about climate-based and how did we get our first customers? It's, it's kind of an interesting story. So this whole thing started with my own job search. I hope I'm not going too far back right now, but, but I, I think it might be fun context. Um, <laughs> so I, as I was telling Murad, you know, my background like his is, is in ed tech. After three years of working at a, a YC-backed company, we did really well. I was leading community there. I honestly, I was, I was just feeling kind of low-key kind of burnt out from the startup grind. And I ended up taking three months off, um, like sabbatical, just wanted to like step away from work for a little bit and refresh myself. Well, three months turned into like almost two years. <laughs> I traveled a lot. I was, you know, I had a kind of realization once I had stepped away, I was like, oh, wow, I actually have like the financial freedom to do this. I'd finally paid off my student loans. I was 27 and I was just like, okay, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to go see the world. Mm. And I did. And coming out of that experience, I was in places like Venice where I was there during like a massive architectural conference that just happened to be going on when I was there. And the entire conference was about sea level rise and how Venice was going to tackle it. But this was a global conference. So they were talking about sea level rise happening all around the world. And this was just one of many experiences I had while traveling where it was like climate change just kept coming back into my mind, not only because, you know, I'm from Berkeley and I remember seeing Inconvenient Truth in theaters with my very Berkeley parents. (laughs) But um, but I think it's just something that is like increasingly part of the global dialogue. And as I was reflecting on what do I want to do next, I was like, well, I can't really think of anything more important to do than make my career somehow focused on climate. However, what I experienced as I was started looking for climate jobs is like all the jobs I was getting were primarily jobs that had the keyword climate baked into the title. (laughs) And I realized very quickly early, like early on that the keyword search functionality that drives most of the horizontal job platforms out there like LinkedIn, Indeed, and, and so on. It just doesn't help actually very, very much for people who, like me who are looking for opportunities at organizations that are focused on climate as their mission, right. as their core business or core service. So I, I, I felt like early on as a job seeker that there was a problem that I was experiencing that perhaps other people were too, but I wasn't really looking to start a company but I was looking to sort of socially engineer my way into climate tech. And, and the way that this sort of started was that me and my brother, now co-founder Jesse, uh, there's three of us co-founders, me, Jesse, and Justin. Jesse's my brother, and um, Justin's a brother from another mother. Uh, but, but Jesse had recently graduated college. He was also interested in working in climate tech. And so we were just like, hey, let's organize a career fair. Let's organize a climate-themed career fair in San Francisco. It turns out this is the first time anyone ever had organized a climate themed career fair, <laughs> which, you know, and, and we did our research, we, you know, because I didn't want to make that claim boldly without really knowing for sure. But like, I kid you not, we were Googling, we were looking in Internet Archive, like literally could not find anything like this before. So we were like, OK, awesome. We're going to do the first one. And in doing so, we're going to let all these cool climate tech companies that we're going to invite to this thing. They're all going to know Evan and Jesse. And that's great because we want to we want a job. And we have no experience in climate tech, so this is how we're going to break in. So that's actually kind of like how the whole thing started. And also, that's how we got our first couple hundred, you could say, users. That's how we got our first couple hundred people on an emailing list. Um, so that you know, even after the the climate career fair happened, we had an initial audience of people that we could reach out to and say, "Hey, did you like the career fair? Well, guess what? 
now we have this online platform to sort of help scale that same experience. That day, instead of like the 200 person goal we were hoping to have, in fact, about 650 people showed up. There was wow. a line outside the door. <laughs> uh, the fire marshal was notified that we had exceeded the capacity. It was this incredible, like instant community type of feeling where it was like this huge room of people and everyone's super mission aligned. Everyone's super high energy and excited. Right. And that's when me and Jesse were like, holy shit, this was like way more exciting and successful than we ever had anticipated. And maybe there's an opportunity to scale this kind of experience to the broader world. Talk about a fantastic Genesis story ripe with really strong market signals for y'all. It's like not only did you immediately see that there was demand on both sides of the marketplace, but you also got a feel for kind of what I hear a lot of people appreciate about the climate space, which is that it's like even though you have all these different sectors within it, whether it be all kinds of different hardware or software, the unifying goal of everyone's focus on kind of global climate challenges definitely does bring together a really cohesive community. And so fast forwarding now, 20 months later, you have thousands of jobs, you have hundreds of thousands of people that have used the platform. Let's talk about the business and the revenue side, because it sounds like you all have been able to kind of bootstrap your way into pretty solid revenue streams already. How does that look at current? And do you think kind of the next 12 months will be continuing to double down on those revenue streams or are you going to diversify them as well? Our core revenue stream has been the marketplace. Really, you know, building out this um, reoccurring revenue model uh, where employers are paying us to not only post all their jobs, but also as a freebie for the time being, we've just been giving them full access to our talent directory. There's about 30,000 profiles in there of users that have proactively created profiles for themselves. Um, our pricing model, we sort of have um, three different tiers depending on the sort of the maturity, the size of the company. Um, so that way we're really able to help any, everyone from like an, the earliest, earliest stage company and offer a really fair price uh, for the value that we provide um, all the way to much larger companies that are joining our platform, uh, like, like Aurora Solar, you know, they have hundreds of employees. So we've been able to support a really wide spectrum of companies that are working on climate with this model. And we started monetizing with this sort of subscription-based model back in May, we haven't done a ton of outbound sales or marketing. That's now that we are preparing to raise, we're absolutely going to be doing much more of that. But we wanted to just like put out a pricing model and see if it works. And it did work and it's working. Well, basically, since then, our revenue has been growing at roughly 33% month over month um, with that MRR model. In January, we pulled in over $35,000 from that MRR model. And, and that's like only supporting, I want to say around 200 companies that are, are actively hiring on the platform. So, you know, there's 58,000 climate tech companies that are active in on Crunchbase. So there's a huge market opportunity just with that. Um, and now what we're getting ready to do is basically, you know, this talent directory that we've, we've been and continue to be right now uh, offering as a freebie to employers, we're going to be gradually creating a sourcing as a service model uh, leveraging that huge pool of talent that we have on climate based. But I will mention also that, you know, from a, a product perspective, we really recognize that though we've had hundreds of thousands of people use climate base, our monthly users are are in the tens of thousands. 
and this is no surprise, right? It's the difference between LinkedIn and Indeed. Uh, the reason why LinkedIn is so much more valuable than Indeed is because there's a strong network component. It's a market network. People, there's a feed, there's a social experience. You could argue a community experience. We don't want to be the Indeed for climate tech. Uh, we we are much more interested in layering an, a strong network component into what we have and be in, and not just be a marketplace, but really be a market network in that sense. And we're beginning to do that by basically doing cohort-based courses. We're calling them fellowships right now. Our first cohort just kicked off about two weeks ago. We had around 2,500 applicants for that program. Of the first 200 people we reviewed and accepted to the program, 75% of them enrolled, uh, which is an insane conversion rate if you're familiar with EdTech. And so we have 150 fellows in our first program. And it's nice that this also nets us revenue. Um, our first cohort will generate just over $100,000 in revenue. And that's great. Like we can build community that will gradually develop into an actual network, a social experience on climate based. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, the fellowship can obviously be a nice on-ramp for folks into the marketplace as well, whether it's people that go through the fellowship, then work at a climate tech company, need to hire, that kind of trajectory makes a lot of sense. Really quickly on the revenue piece, I mean, if I put my old kind of consultant hat on, I think you mentioned earlier that you have a few thousand companies already on the platform and that 200 of those are the ones that are generating the kind of $35,000 monthly MRR that you had in January. If you then expand to that 60,000 set of climate tech companies in the world, like there's a real opportunity to 30x that monthly revenue. So yeah, that's definitely a clear and compelling pathway to a million dollars of monthly revenue potentially. Trying to connect the dots. So what I've been thinking is you have all these companies you know, the first hurdle was getting those companies on board. Now that they're there, how do you not overwhelm someone who's like looking for that climate job? Because climate is broad. <laughs> I mean, they came to that. Like you could be talking carbon removal or you could be talking energy space or even climate fintech. Like, so th there are, you know, passions and it, you were kind of hinting at this, you know, mission driven people. But even within that, you kind of want to dig deeper into specific levels, right? So what are the data points you utilize to kind of like get that right fit? Because I, I definitely see the differentiation from an Indeed or even a LinkedIn because those are very broad. But how do you actually like start pulling it together? How does that work as a product? We've started off with a really basic V1 product, which is a job board. And then we layered on this talent directory, right? So it's it's pretty straightforward in terms of like, I mean, we're, we're not doing anything particularly fancy with our platform right now. But we, our goal is not to just have a bunch of users and like that is not our KPI. Like we are, I mean, it's one of our KPIs, I should say, <laughs> but there's another component which is around successful matches, right? Because the ideal experience for a job seeker, to your point, I think, is not looking at a thousand jobs and applying to a hundred of them. It's being presented with a handful of jobs that are most relevant to them and only having to apply to a couple of them and immediately, ideally, get a job, right? Nice. I mean, what, your question is so important because like, we, what we're addressing, uh, part of the core problem that we aim to address is the fact that these other platforms are so noisy. What's really cool is we have the opportunity of building a really unique matchmaking experience for matching talent to jobs and vice versa. 
And part of that is because we have a unique data taxonomy. You know, being able to say, you know, for instance, I'm interested in climate fintech. Well, right now, if you go to any platform in the world, you won't find a tag or a filter option for climate fintech. Gotcha. Right. So a, a having a very unique taxonomy for climate tech is extremely important. It's, I think it's one of the things that's going to give us a big advantage and make climate base continue to be a, a better resource than the other platforms. The other side of it is machine learning and automated matchmaking. There's so much infrastructure as a service for products that should leverage intelligent matchmaking. This could be for social products that don't want to have to recreate the the algorithms that hundreds or thousands, uh, tens of thousands of engineers at LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Twitter have to create internally to ensure that their feed of content is relevant to Evan as I'm scrolling through Twitter, right? There's now infrastructure out there where instead of ClimateBase having to build out an entire team right you know, at our early, early stage and use a ton of capital resources on that, we can buy before we build. It would have been a little too early to try to build what we are building right now at ClimateBase five years ago because the ecosystem hadn't developed to where it is now. Obviously, everyone on this call is super optimistic that the climate tech trends that we're observing now will just kind of continue up and to the right for the next 50 to 100 years, as long as there's significant climate challenges to tackle. But I guess my question is, how do you see climate-based performing if there is another counter-cyclical three to five-year period sometime this decade when interest in quote-unquote climate tech is much lower than it is right now? We learned a lot from clean tech 1.0, or you could argue now climate tech 1.0. One of those learning lessons is that I think investors realize that the returns um, and the timeline for those returns are different for climate tech companies, most climate tech companies. To invest in climate tech, you have to have a, a slightly different expectations around the timeline for returns. But I think the returns are gonna be way bigger. I think there's gonna be many Teslas. Like I don't think Tesla is a unique climate tech company. I think we're going to see a ton, right? Like the tailwinds are probably the number one factor I should point to. So like, even if there are slight bursts to the trend that we are seeing, like, yes, there's a ton of excitement going into this and thank God the world needs it. <laughs> right. But even if there are slight little bursts along the way, I think that there is a fundamental need to address this problem. I don't think there's any greater challenge than climate change, because we essentially, to, to combat it, we have to essentially redo every single industry, every single polluting industry. It's a necessity. I don't think there's any shortage of people who are attracted to the idea of having a meaningful, purposeful, impactful career. You know, you look at the trends of what Gen Z are looking for right now. Uh, they're looking to work on climate. Uh, same with millennials, same with Gen X, same with boomers even. I mean, in our own fellowship, some of the most engaged people are folks in their 40s and 50s. Wow, that's an interesting insight. But like the point being is like, I, I think that this is a true cultural cultural and economic revolution. And it, it needs to be addressed one way or another. There's no shortage of talent. It's just about how quickly can we get these talented people who are mission driven to focus on this and make this the focus of their career. How quickly can we get them in the right opportunities so that we can help these climate tech companies scale the climate solutions that humanity desperately needs? I enjoyed that perspective because I think what motivated the question from our side is that we see 
climate-based kind of as one of these like integral pickaxes for the entire climate tech space. It's like, how do you get more human capital to where it needs to be? And so in a sense, it's almost like a leveraged long on climate tech being a massive trend. And so if that is the case for the next 10, 20, 30 years, then I think that's a massive opportunity. But it does run the risk that if for some unfortunate reason that doesn't end up being the case, then that could be challenging. But I definitely see the opportunity. I mean, I think if that if that ends up happening, then it's not climate based that I'm more that I'm worried about. It's it's the world <laughs> right. I would be worried about. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, so you know, I might as well it, double down on saving the world. Yeah, I think I think so. <laughs> yeah. Five years down the road, like how would you like to be able to quantify climate based impact? Is it in terms of people that you've placed in roles, or are there other KPIs that? you think it'd be great to achieve? User satisfaction is always a, you know, when you're working on something that is so clearly mission oriented, like climate is literally in our name. Mm -hmm. So I think as, as long as our users are happy, that would be a pretty clear indicator that we're driving impact for, for the people that we serve. You know, it's funny. It's like a lot of climate VCs, they want to, you know, they have a qualification. You have to be able to justify a gigaton of removal or emissions avoidance potential uh, in order to be considered. I can't like authentically, honestly pin a CO2, you know, metric tons of CO2E number <laughs> to the impact that we're doing. It's just, it's very hard to quantify that. Right. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you quantify the impact? I mean, probably around just, you know, number of successful, I mean, I would say satisfaction, and we can look at our revenue as an indicator around that as well, our growth as an indicator there. But also, yeah, like how many people are successfully getting placed in roles? Uh, I think that's probably one of the most important things. I would love to be able to say by placing X amount of people in roles, we estimate that we are having a quantified impact of X. Right. I don't know how to calculate that yet, though. So that's an interesting thing to try and figure out. I mean, I, I agree with you that it's it'd be hard for us to like honestly sit here and, and come up with a really mathematical way to make an argument about that. And I would also agree with you that even though that can't be done, it's still clearly very impactful what you all are doing, but it would also be a fun exercise to like, if you had to try to impact the, or quantify like the CO2E impact of placing a person in a role, like how would you go about that? It's got my, my mind spinning on a, on a Wednesday afternoon here. As you approach the fundraise and pitching investors, like what are you guys mostly raising to be able to do? Well, we have a lot of hiring to do for sure. The two biggest areas of, of hiring are going to be around engineering and product, um, as well as community slash education. Those are the sort of the two big areas of hiring. Have you hired anyone from by using climate-based? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely, uh, what is it, dog fooding yeah. is the expression? <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we absolutely dog food for sure. Um, I mean, when we've hired positions on client-based before, it's been really nice because we've gotten so many applicants, like <laughs> hundreds of applicants for, you know, the very few positions that we've posted in the past. Evan, I'd love to understand, like, you know, the fellowship concept, that because that's really intriguing. Getting a job isn't just about finding the opportunities and applying. A lot of it also has to do with having sort of a, a core educational background where you can even navigate the climate tech landscape and understand what these organizations are doing. 
And most people didn't go to school for sustainability. Most people don't have a really deep background in energy mm-hmm. or, or carbon markets or forestry <laughs> or whatever it might be, right? These are like very technical areas to be working in. The other piece is around networking. The fellowship, like what we are not doing is creating MOOC type module, click-through based learning type of things. I think what makes the fellowship really interesting and powerful is that we are not only delivering core curriculum to give that give people that sort of baseline, base level understanding. It's also the fact that we, because we are a marketplace for jobs and talent, we also have probably the best Rolodex of climate tech companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy for us to reach out to incredible climate tech founders and investors and thought leaders and experts in the space and say, hey, do you want to come talk about the work you're doing to our curated community of top talent? So we get a lot of guest speakers coming in and fellows love that because again, they they gain that educational piece, but it's not, but now they're taking what we've delivered in curriculum and they're being able to understand how this applies to the real world. I would say the final piece of the fellowship, uh, which we didn't expect to be as wildly popular as it apparently is, is around project-based work. Uh, but it makes sense, you know, to go into this field, especially if you're a job applicant, you know, you want to be able to stand out against your other competing applicants. And one of the best ways you can do that is by showing that you're, you're not just passionate, uh, you've actually like applied your passion and knowledge and skills, and you've actually produced something tangible that you can talk about and show off. Right. Looking into the future, though, we recognize that creating specific programs for specific types of people by skill and role type, but also programs that are focused on specific topics like sectors or or even more niche topics like Climate and Web3, for example, there's a huge opportunity of, of, of expanding our portfolio of, of courses and, and educational offerings. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes us particularly, I think, well positioned as we're thinking about, you know, what programs to launch next and, you know, how, how, how can we make sure that we're, we're really doing the right kind of program as we're layering on more and more of these opportunities is the fact that we have proprietary data to help inform our decision making on that. We can look at um, the 30,000 jobs that have been posted on Climate Base in the past two years. And there's obvious and important trends that we can look at to inform our decision making there. We are the only platform in the world, I believe, that has this data where we can really intelligently know exactly what programs to launch next and also to whom we should market uh, within our, our ever growing network of users. I think that is one of the most compelling things to me. From this conversation so far is that moat that you're building around data. I think that's going to become become exponential over time, and I think it's almost impossible to predict like all the ways in which it'll be valuable, which is powerful. You know, it's just going to grant you a ton of optionality. Yeah, I think so, and I definitely want to do. I mean, Murad, I know that you've taught a course in, in climate VC. It sounds like recently. I mean, we are absolutely looking to do a course on the subject as well. So uh, if you're if you're looking to do a side hustle with me. Uh, let me know. <laughs> there you go. I, uh, I'm about to be competitive with Climate Base because it's uh, it's turning into hired on the Keep Cool show instead of hired on Climate Base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm just joking. Love it. I guess one final question for me is we kind of mentioned it in passing earlier, but it was with respect to OnDeck. But it's like it seems like almost every content creator or business with significant network effects is like raising a fund or manufacturing access to a fund. Is that something that you guys also find interesting in the future? It's incredible to see how 
rapidly climate tech is growing. And a lot of that growth, of course, is being funded by the capital coming in from climate tech VC. Does ClimateBase want to be a platform that helps channel more capital towards companies in the future? I think that's definitely something that we are looking at. So is it possible that there's a, a ClimateBase fund in the future? Perhaps. Uh, I don't I don't want to say no. If you asked me this like five or six months ago, I actually probably would have given you a slightly different answer. There was a period of time where we thought that this would be a really good thing for us to get going on immediately. But we kind of just realized like, I mean, we kind of had us like slap ourselves in the face because we're still a small team. And the problem that we're solving is a massive problem with a huge opportunity. I think it's safe to say we're already the leaders in this you know, niche thing that we're tackling, this niche and rapidly growing thing that we're doing, and that we should really just stay focused on this for the time being. And when I say this, I mean jobs and talent and now layering that with community so that we drive re-engagement. Right. Marketplace plus network. Yep. Like that right there, that's a big enough challenge and a big enough market opportunity. And we don't need to like spread ourselves too thin by, you know, also being a crowdfunding platform for climate tech companies too right now. That sounds prudent to me. Thanks for tuning in. And don't miss next week's episode by subscribing on Spotify, Google, Apple, or wherever else you listen to podcasts.